The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks under pressure after the Dow does something for the first time since November of 2020. Oil is popping on reports that OPEC and its allies are getting ready to slash output after crude's worst quarter since the start of the virus pandemic. A developing story in the United Kingdom as Liz Truss's government pulls a historic U-turn on its controversial new growth plan. Plus, a major European investment bank tries to allay investor and employee fears of a reported Lehman moment. And then later on, record-breaking sales at Tesla overshadowed by a struggling supply chain. It's Monday, October 3rd, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu and for Brian Sullivan today, a new week, a new month, and a new quarter as well. Let's kick things off with U.S. equity futures. They are relatively stable, but mixed maybe at best. The Dow is implied higher by about 67 points. Now the S&P lower by just about one to two points and the Nasdaq down by 56. We'll continue to watch whether that tech trade can find any kind of stability on the downside. Now this was after what was an ugly month for U.S. equities. The Dow closing out September below the 29,000 mark for the first time, as you can see there, since November of 2020. A nearly 9% loss last month, its worst quarterly and worst monthly, rather, performance since March of 2020. The same, too, for the S&P 500. For the quarter, the Dow closed down more than 6.5%. Its third negative quarter in a row for the first time since 2015. So equities having a rough time these days. Now, in the bond market, yields very much in focus still, given what's happening right now with Treasuries, the 10-year note yield, dipping just slightly lower this morning to 3.79%. The two-year note yield, 4.20%. And the 30-year long bond, three and three quarters right now as we sit. On oil, it's coming off its worst month since November of 2021 with a more than 11% loss, looking to try to bounce back in a big way this morning. You can see there it's up 4.5% for U.S. Benchmark West Texas Intermediate or WTI crude, $83.20 the last trade there. That's $3.71 to the upside. A similar percentage move for Ice Brent Crude Futures, the World Benchmark Gauge, $88.95 the last trade there. Now let's go around the world. China closed for a week-long market holiday. South Korea closed as well. And you can see the rest of the averages are fairly mixed. Some specs of green out there. The Indian market down nearly 1%. And then everything else kind of playing out a little bit more muted these days. Now, in Europe, let's spin that globe around. Red arrows now pretty much across the board, except for I can see Portugal there, maybe a little bit to the upside. You can see the CAC in France down one and a half percent. The FTSE 100 in the UK down nearly one and one quarter percent. Similar percentage decline for the German DAX. Now leading the declines is Credit Suisse. And this is a fast moving story this morning. Shares of the Swiss investment bank are sinking 
on reports the company's top executives are working to reassure investors and top clients of its financial health and future solvency, downplaying what some reports are calling a possible European quote-unquote Lehman moment, referring to the great financial crisis. Now, pressure on Credit Suisse taking down many of its European financial peers as well. Take a look at shares of Deutsche Bank, off four and a quarter percent. Commerce Bank in Germany, down four percent. Societe Generale in France, down three percent. And same for Swiss rival UBS, down about two and three quarters percent right now. Let's stick with that European trade and a major breaking story in just the last few hours as the UK government, led by newly minted Prime Minister Liz Truss, pulls a major fiscal policy pivot and abandons a key aspect of her quote-unquote new growth plan, one that sent financial markets, by the way, into a tailspin last week and forced the Bank of England to step in and intervene in financial markets there. We've got a lot to unpack. So now let's send it out to Arabile Goumede, standing by in Birmingham, where British conservatives have gathered ahead of this big fiscal U-turn by Liz Truss and her government. Arabile, what can you tell us about the Conservative Party, given what's happening in Birmingham right now? Yeah, Dominic, certainly a lot of news happening then, particularly this morning. It's been a moving Monday morning. That's certainly for sure out here in Birmingham. A whole lot happening. The UK Chancellor to the Exchequer, the Finance Minister, then Kwasi Kwarteng, announcing then this morning that those proposed tax cuts at the top end of the spectrum of around 45%, uh, which was meant to then be cut, that has now been taken away, so abolishing that move, it will remain in place. The aim of that was to try and make the taxes simpler, to try and be in line with a few of the uh, G7 countries as well, which he had said uh, we are in lockstep, uh, lock out of, should I say, then perhaps not in lockstep with. So the problem then becomes that you've now reneged on one of the promises you had put forward as a government, an element that Liz Truss, as Prime Minister, had actually gone on the campaign trail about. Those tax cuts were quite critical and important. So, but she did get a mandate then from some of the Conservative Party members saying to her that that was perhaps not the right way to go about things. And then she decided that she has moved along and decided against it. Even noting a little bit earlier on in a tweet today saying that we get it and we have listened. The, abolish, uh, the abolition of the 45% uh, rate had become a distraction from our mission to get Britain moving. Our focus now is on building a high growth economy that funds world class public services, boosts wages, and creates opportunities across the country. So now they've reneged on one element. The next piece of the pie here is just what happens when it comes to those tax cuts. Do they create another way? Will they be communicating a little bit better? The market has certainly reacted uh, in uh, different ways as well. As you noted, the FTSE 100 going down more than 1% so far this morning. But the currency, uh, the, the sterling, getting better. Four-tenths of a percent a little bit stronger there market pricing and interest rates to perhaps not necessarily hit 6% anymore, but perhaps to sit around 55 and 5.7%. We are expecting Kwasi Kwarteng, the UK finance minister, to also deliver a, conference, a speech to the conference later today. That's going to be at 4.15 BST or 5.15 CET PM, of course, to then quell the market fears even further to kind of give a sense that things will get better from here and the direction they plan to take on as well. So all of that happening. It's a moving Monday morning here in Birmingham, and we'll certainly give you the latest as and when it happens.
Arabile, I wonder, we've been showing a series of charts as you've been giving your report now on this, and one of them was the chart of the British pound, the pound sterling, cable, whatever you want to call it. It's back up to close to $1.12. Now, that's still very weak by historical standards, but it's back up to where it was kind of before this whole uh, trust quartang fiscal stimulus spending package and tax cut news came out. I've heard a lot of words describing the situation right now. The one word that keeps popping up is credibility. How much is credibility a factor now for the UK government, given they've been newly minted? And this is kind of what's happening in the first two to three weeks of this new administration. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, on, fr- on Wednesday morning, it will be about a month exactly since Liz Truss took over as Prime uh, Minister then of the UK, right? But there are two elements to look at when it comes to credibility. One, on one end of the spectrum, yes, they've gone back on their word, right? They've put out a bold plan, which is what Liz Truss had said uh, the government would need, that they'd need to put out bold movements, be quick about it, and certainly try to impact the economy to ensure that consumers get a sense that the government is acting quickly to help them, particularly when it comes to higher energy prices. But on the other hand of this, of this whole ordeal, one could look at it and say, well, they, they are right. They are listening to people, right? The, 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 the cutting of that tax rate at the top of the spectrum meant that the richer would certainly get a tax break then. It would help them, not the larger population. So there are two elements of this conversation to say maybe credibility has worn a little bit, but at the same time, if you are willing to listen and not stand firm and uh, sort of be stubborn to your senses then, it does mean that you are willing to listen to consumers. So it may also stand them in good stead. All right. Arabile Goumene in Birmingham at the Conservative Party conference there. Thank you very much. To another developing story this morning and one that is sending oil prices sharply higher. For that, we go out to Bertha Coombs. Bertha, what can you tell us? Hey, good morning, Dom. The price of U.S. and international benchmark crude surging this morning on reports that OPEC and its allies, known as OPEC Plus, will consider an output cut of more than one million barrels a day when it meets later this week. If confirmed, it would be the biggest move by the cartel since the start of the pandemic to address oil market weakness. OPEC Plus, which combines OPEC countries and allies, including Russia, has thus far refused to raise output to lower oil prices despite pressure from major consumers, including the U.S. Oil is coming off its worst monthly performance since November 2021 and its worst quarter since the first quarter of 2020, with a nearly 25 percent loss since July. Of course, higher oil prices is not going to make the Fed's job any easier, Tom. All right. Bertha Coombs with the latest there on WTI prices up four and a half percent right now. Thank you very much. Futures right now searching for direction after what was a very rough month and quarter for U.S. stocks. And it could get even worse amid a possible investor sentiment shift. Take a look at a note from Goldman Sachs just issued over this past weekend and chief strategist there, David Costin, saying that, quote, a weaker economy will, quote, drive households to continue selling stocks causing a shift in investor mindsets from Tina. There is no alternative to the Terra trade where there are reasonable alternatives. Now, Goldman is expecting households to sell about one hundred billion dollars in equities in the year 2023. So joining me now is Matt Maley, chief market strategist at Miller Tabak. Uh, Matt, this is an interesting point that's being brought up. 
in that maybe perhaps more and more American households got the benefit of being part of the stock market rally and that they will use it as a source of funds in the event of an eventual real downturn, which we could be on the precipice of right now. Just how vulnerable is the stock market, given the fact that we've already seen a 30 plus percent decline in the Nasdaq? Yeah, Dom, I mean, we've, you mentioned we've, we've seen this big decline, but we have to question, is, has the market really become cheap? Uh, you know, if, if we're heading to a recession, which seems to be almost a lock, if we're not already in one, uh, that means earnings growth is going to go down. I mean, every, uh, every recession since World War II uh, has seen a decline in earnings. Well, if 2022 earnings uh, forecasts are probably going to have to come down before the end of the year, and then next year we have a, a, a negative year for earnings, uh, the average is about 10% during, during recessions. But even if it's not that bad, we're looking at a, a market that's really trading at, you know, uh, instead of 16 times forward earnings, it's more like 18 to 19 times forward earnings. And if you have people who are already, you know, a, you know their credit card debt is already maxed out and they have to find somewhere else to, 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 to uh, raise money to pay for uh, necessities like higher oil prices, uh, you're right that, that, that the stock market is going to have to have, fall further before the ultimate bottom of this bear market is, is reached. Matt, uh how stressed are investors right now? I, I, I say this because we've all felt that anybody who owns stocks, who has a 401k plan, an individual retirement account, any kind of exposure to the market has felt the pain. But it hasn't really been a massive amount of pain acutely pointed at one specific time period. We've just seen a decline or a re-rating of the market over several weeks and now months at this point. Everyone's looking for capitulation. So how stressed are investors right now? Well, sentiment is, is is unbelievably negative, and 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 the market's oversold. Not 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 wildly oversold, uh, but it's definitely oversold. So when you get the very negative uh, sentiment and an oversold market, it, it does uh, you know leave us uh, you know for a good chance that we'll see a sharp bounce at some point soon. The problem is what's going to happen on a longer-term basis or intermediate-term basis. You know, again, the market being overbought, uh, I'm sorry, the market being overvalued uh, is a big concern. The other thing, of course, is the situation with, with uh, 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 Credit Suisse. I mean, is it an issue? Is it a Lehman moment? I mean, the one thing that, that, that people are saying is like, don't worry, the, the banking system is in much better shape. And I agree. But the, the real, what, what would it be if, if, if something is really going on with Credit Suisse? I mean, it means that there's going to be a big hole in the derivatives market. I mean, a lot of banks who might be in great shape, uh, insurance companies and hedge funds, uh, you know, suddenly the, the other side of a der- derivatives trade isn't there if something happens with Credit Suisse. And suddenly, you know, maybe they're not going to be on the, you know, uh, the verge of going out of business, uh, but they're going to have bigger losses than people thought. So uh, there, there's still a lot of, uh, you know, uh, you know potholes out there, even bigger uh, potholes bigger concerns out there that we do have to worry about uh, in the months ahead. What are those potholes? What are the bigger potholes and bigger concerns that we have to worry about? Is it interest rates? Is that the prevailing major headwind that markets are trying to figure out right now? Well, that's certainly uh, uh, the concern because, you know, uh, we, we sit there and say, well, lo- low interest rates are what have, have helped, you know, have, have these extended or higher evaluation levels for, for many years now. Uh, but, you know, so if interest rates stay high, uh, that makes it a big problem. The one thing, though, that I do look for is that, you know, if we get to, you know, as things get more concerning, you have this sort of flight to, quali- flight, flight to quality, flight to safety trade in the Treasury market. So even though, I mean, we see that whenever that we get that second leg of the bull of the 
bear market. We get some sort of a blow up. And, and, and that's so it's not interest rates. Interest rates actually go down a little bit in a flight to safety trade. It's something else that, 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 that creates the problem. And I and I, my, my two number one things are a blow up in the, in, in the credit markets or number two, uh, a, a further decline uh, in earnings. All right. We'll keep it a close eye on many of those bricks in the wall of worry. Matt Maley, thank you very much. When we come back on the show, much more on this developing situation in the U.K. and what it means for markets here at home. We've got Moody's Mark Zandi here to weigh in later on in the show. We'll be right back after this. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun this season. King's Island is now open weekends. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The dollar is holding near the flat line today. The greenback coming off its best quarter since 2016, rising more than 7% as the Federal Reserve stays on its path of aggressive interest rate hikes to bring inflation under control. Now, the move is sparking worries about the impact on multinational companies. In a recent note, Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson says every 1% rise in the dollar index has a negative effect of a half a percent on S&P 500 earnings. So yes, stronger dollar, good in some ways, but bad in others. Joining me now is Wolfgang Koster, the chief strategy officer at Kyriba. Uh, Wolfgang, this dollar strength story has been playing out for a long time now. The trend has been decidedly to the upside, but we're entering the earnings season, and this is when those multinational companies may start to really feel the pinch. What exactly do we have to worry about as investors with a stronger dollar? Yeah, I mean, it's hits to the revenues as the first and bottom line of this thing. So as you know, when the dollar strengthens and you're doing business abroad, that means you get less dollars back. So uh, we're seeing already that in the first half of this year, U.S. corporates have lost in excess of $50 billion in revenues uh, from foreign exchange and from their strength in the currencies. So what corporations are doing about this is they are under their headline of enterprise liquidity management. They're looking how can you best manage that currency risk in an environment that continues to be a race to the top on currencies. Now, now Wolfgang, when it comes to this, this particular impact on companies, you're in a position where you get to speak with many of the chief executive and chief financial officers at multinational corporations What exactly is the preparation like for how they will tackle some of these currency headwinds when they have to report their earnings and commentary in the next several weeks? Yes, it's a great question. So first of all, they think about it from a tactical 
basically in the quarter perspective point of view. What are the finances? How do I report to this, et cetera? So you have companies like Microsoft coming out and actually already guiding the street towards the impact that they're going to have on foreign exchange. Then you have the more strategic areas that they also want to talk about. Should I be thinking about repositioning where we do manufacturing? They're certainly not going to reposition too much of where they do sales. But really think about in a global term of view, how do I optimize currencies within my whole working capital and liquidity structure? And that's where CEOs and CFOs are increasingly focused and, quite frankly, uh, being asked a lot by the investors and the boards. All right. Wolfgang Koster at Kyriba. Thank you very much, sir. We'll keep a close eye on that currency trade. Still on deck for the show. Much more on what some are calling a possible, quote unquote, Lehman moment for the European banking sector. Our Leslie Picker is here to break down what you need to know about Credit Suisse. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Philip Mena with today's top headlines. We begin with the devastating aftermath of Hurricane Ian. The storm has claimed the lives of at least 87 people. More than 644,000 homes in Florida still do not have power. Now, Ian may be long gone, but the threats of flooding still loom. Floridians now have to watch out for compound flooding. That's when the storm surge blocks the rivers. It can sometimes reverse its direction, bringing more water inland. It's one of the worst sporting tragedies in the world. At least 125 people are dead after a stampede at a soccer match in Malag, Indonesia. Supporters of the losing team stormed the field, throwing bottles and other objects. Police then fired tear gas in response, sparking panic. The world soccer governing body FIFA has banned the use of tear gas at soccer stadiums. In a statement, they called the incident, quote, a tragedy beyond comprehension. Indonesia's president has ordered a review of security procedures after the disaster. And Brazil's presidential election is headed to a runoff vote after neither candidate got more than 50 percent. While former left-wing president Lula da Silva came out five points ahead, he will still need to face incumbent Jair Bolsonaro in a rematch on October 30th. That's it from here, Dom. Send it back to you. All right, Philip Mena, thank you very much for those headlines. Ahead on the show, despite a record-breaking quarter for deliveries, shares of Tesla are sinking right now in the pre-market, down 4.5%. Find out why when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan on this Monday morning. Let's get right to how the markets and your money are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. Futures right now mixed. Just modestly so. The Dow's implied lower or higher now by about 110 points. The S&P higher by four, but the Nasdaq lower by about 45. Let's now check on some of this morning's big money movers. Tesla, one of them, Bertha Coombs has more on what's sending those shares lower. Bertha. 
Um, Tesla shares are sinking on the back of third quarter delivery figures, which actually were at a record for the period with 343,830 autos worldwide. But that figure missed analyst expectations. Tesla navigating issues, including soaring commodity and transport prices, executive turnover and production issues at its factories, including COVID lockdowns in China. In July, Tesla had to suspend most of its Shanghai factory production. CEO Elon Musk Musk said on Twitter he's aiming for, quote, steadier deliveries in between quarters, adding that the customer experience suffers from an end of quarter rush. You can see shares down over four and a half percent, Don. We'll keep an eye on it for sure. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much for the update on Tesla. To a developing story this morning, shares of Credit Suisse are sinking on reports the company's top executives are working to reassure investors and, of course, top clients of the investment bank of its financial health and future solvency, downplaying a possible what some folks are calling European Lehman moment. Now, pressure on Credit Suisse is taking down many of its European peers as well. You take a look at shares of Deutsche Bank, Commerce Bank, Societe Generale in France, even Swiss rival UBS and more all down anywhere from 2 to 5%. Our Leslie Picker has been working the phones all weekend and joins us now with more on the latest here. Leslie, what can you tell us about just how bad it is at Credit Suisse right now? Hey, Dom. Yeah, Credit Suisse facing a real crisis of confidence over the weekend, at least on certain social media platforms, with hordes of gatflies abuzz with proclamations of its, quote, Lehman moment. The stock price, uh, as you could see, as you just showed, down significantly lower today as the firm's C-suite seeks to reassure investors, both on the equity and debt side, its counterparties, its employees, and the public, that the bank is not on the brink. In moments like these, it's important, though, to really take a step back and assess how we got here and what the facts are that we know. The rumor mill kicked off in earnest with a report about a week and a half ago saying the firm was sounding out investors about a capital raise. That news, although disputed by sources close to the firm, sent the stock to a record low and it's fallen almost every day since, now significantly lower than $4 a share. The firm sent out a press release a week ago saying it's on track with asset sales and divestitures, which would help help raise cash without diluting shareholders. Uh, on Friday, CEO Ulrich Corner sent out an internal memo obtained by CNBC where he tried to comfort employees and uh, amid a slumping stock price and, quote, uncertainty and speculation. He said, quote, I trust that you are not confusing our day-to-day stock price performance with the strong capital base and liquidity position of the bank. Still, credit def- Default swaps, the cost of insuring the firm's bonds against default, spiked last week to 2009 levels reminiscent to some on Reddit and Twitter of the financial crisis. Others were less convinced. Saba Capital's Boaz Weinstein, one of the most active CDS traders out there, has called several tweets predicting Credit Suisse's demise as, quote, scaremongering. So is Credit Suisse having its Lehman moment? Well, Credit Suisse's common equity tier one ratio at the end of Q2 was 13.5%. That's higher than most U.S. banking peers. I'm told there's genuine interest in its securities pro- securitized product unit, which could shore up some capital. However, the firm is sitting, sitting on hundreds of millions of dollars in losses from leveraged buyout-related debt that the market won't absorb amid this current risk-off sentiment. And it's impossible from the outside to get a minute-by-minute account of the true picture of risk on its balance sheet. So for now, we wait and see what the market does today, Dom. But uh, they do have their transformation plan that they've 
are announcing in about three weeks. Uh, October 27th is the date for that. I have so many questions, Leslie, but, but we're limited by time. So I'm going to start with one of them, first of all, for you. The, the, the first one is there is no doubt among many of the folks I speak to who kind of watch financial markets globally, specifically the banking sector, very closely. And they keep hammering home the point you just made, that the tier one capital at Credit Suisse is solid, that there is no real issue with it whatsoever. But then the talk turns to whether or not there can become more of a, not so to speak, a run on the bank, right? But this idea that confidence erodes so much that clients and potential clients may have to think twice about doing business with Credit Suisse. How impactful is that? And is that the reason why Credit Suisse is being so active in trying to talk everybody down off the ledge? That's right. Well, we've seen this movie before, Dom. Um, the crisis of confidence is what really um, has impacted pretty much every financial crisis, every issue with banking. Uh, going back hundreds of years, it's this idea that people are concerned that they can't trust the bank, they can't do business with the bank. Now, one thing that is different this time that I think is really unique in terms of just a case study as you look at this is the last time we had a so-called Lehman moment, for example, Twitter was, say, two years old. It didn't have the number of users it has today. Reddit, uh, not the kind of platform it is today in terms of Wall Street bets and the types of conversations that go on there with regard to different banking systems. So it's unclear at this point in time whether the noise is really stemming from people who were significant stakeholders, significant counterparties to Credit Suisse, um, or if it's people just talking the big talk on social media. That is what is um, you know, difficult to ascertain at this point in time. Now, now, Leslie, we're also showing European bank peers right now and how they're trading right now. I remember one of the last times that we saw this kind of crisis of confidence with a bank was Deutsche Bank, right? And it just so happens that we're showing yep. Deutsche Bank and Commerce Bank shares up there. There was talk and chatter at one point back in the day with Deutsche mm -hmm. Bank's problems, that there might be a potential tie-up between Commerce Bank and Deutsche Bank back in the day. Yeah. How much among your sources are you talking to who, who feel as though there might be some kind of consolidation or somebody eyeing to take out Credit Suisse at a discount price? You know, it's a good point bringing up Deutsche Bank because a lot of people have been making that analogy that four or five years ago, Deutsche Bank looked a lot like Credit Suisse does now in terms of its crisis of confidence. People were worried that Deutsche Bank wouldn't be around much longer. The bank did stabilize. It is on decent footing at this point in time. Uh, and to your point, there were talks of uh, consolidation in order to bolster that bank at that point in time. With Credit Suisse, it isn't so much a necessary issue of scale. The issue for them in terms of transactions is more their ability to raise cash. So on that side, in talking to my sources, the, the deal-making stems largely from potential asset sales, divestitures, things that could help it, uh, you know, raise cash to prevent it from needing to go to the market for some sort of dilutive equity raise in order to shore up, um, you know, what some are concerned about being, a, you know, a deficit in terms of its balance sheet. Okay. Leslie Picker, we're there with the latest on the drama at Credit Suisse. Thank you very much for that. Now, let's stick with the European side of things and yet another developing story across the Atlantic. In just the last few hours, the U.K. government, led by newly minted Prime Minister Liz Truss, pulling a major fiscal policy pivot and abandoning a key aspect of her quote-unquote new growth plan that would have slashed a 45 percent tax on high-income individuals. Now, the tax cut, along with other measures, was announced early last week with little warning, sending financial markets into a tailspin and forcing the Bank of England to step in from a policy standpoint. Joining me now is Moody's Analytics Chief Economist Mark Zandi with the latest there. I mean, Mark, 
There's a debate about just how important the slashing of this 45 percent top tax rate is. It's not so much about that. It wasn't going to raise that much money. It's more about the perception of this whole plan. Can you take us through what your feeling is about whether or not this is a viable economic and fiscal plan for the U.K.? No, Dom, it's not. I mean, I, I think the, the government deserves credit for backtracking at least uh, partially on the plan that they put forward. But uh, the plan uh, as it currently stands, and of course it could change again, uh, is bad policy. Uh, you know, it's a pure fiscal stimulus, deficit, deficit finance tax cuts and government spending increases at a time when the economy is operating, the UK economy is operating well beyond full employment and the, and the inflationary pressures here are very severe, even more severe than in the U.S., and on top of that, uh, they've got a pretty serious uh, fiscal problem, and this just adds to that, and there's some questions about fiscal sustainability. But, Dom, I think the thing that is most disconcerting and disturbing is just uh, the lack of credibility of the government and uh, you know how that may affect the credibility of the Bank of England. The Bank of England's in a really tough spot now because uh, they're, they're going to need to raise interest rates to offset the stimulatory effects of, these, of this, uh, this package. And that's going to be tough to do uh, under the scrutiny of the government. So, uh, you know, the credibility here of the of the folks that are running the show is uh, really low. And obviously, that's a, a big problem for the U.K. And because the U.K. is such an important part of the global financial system, it's a problem for everybody. You know, what's crazy about that is you're probably I don't know, the, the, the third dozenth person I've spoken to in the last just maybe week with regard oh, to right? uh, about the U.K. And they use the word credibility or credible or some derivation thereof. And we asked our, 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 our CNBC international correspondent in London earlier about this. This is a government that's about a month old. How important is it to kind of establish or, or perhaps reestablish whatever your view is, this notion that they have a good plan for the economy going forward? And, and, and is this the way to go about doing it? They've got a massive conservative party conference going on right now in Birmingham in the U.K., yeah, it's going to be tough. I, I don't know how they're going to f- uh, figure uh, fi- fix this. Uh, I mean, the, today's move uh, to unwind the tax cut uh, for high-income households is a, it's a good step, but uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure how they're going to do it. I think it's really up now, really up to the Bank of England. The BOE has got to step up and continue to just manage monetary policy in, in a way that's appropriate for the UK economy. And I think, given this fiscal package, that means much higher interest rates. So they're going to have to follow through on that uh, and and start to pivot away from this quantitative easing that they engage that are now engaged in trying to stabilize the system. Hopefully they do. Then they can start uh, quantitative tightening and uh, because they're going to have to, because if they don't, uh, inflation is going to become more entrenched here. And, you know, stagflation becomes more of a potential scenario for them. So I don't know that this government can figure it out at this point, uh, but uh, hopefully the Bank of England, England can salvage things. So, you know, it has credibility and and hopefully it'll, it'll establish that going forward here. You know, Mark, earlier in, in the program, we did a segment talking about the strength of the U.S. dollar. And, and the, it's almost a regime at this point. It's such a big uptrend for the U.S. dollar. I guess maybe you could argue that on a relative basis, which financial markets are all about, the U.S., the Fed, even the Treasury Department are probably in a better position versus many peers so is this dollar strength going to continue and will it eventually at some point be a real drag on the U.S. economy and its markets? 
Yeah, it's going to remain strong for a while. I mean, as long as the Fed's, uh, you know, engaged in raising interest rates, and it's unclear where they're going to stop and when they're going to stop and how long uh, the uh, high rates are going to prevail, I think the dollar remains strong. Uh, so that means well into next year. And when, when, when I say strong, it's really strong. I mean, if you look at it on a real broad trade-weighted basis, not just against the pound, but every currency, Chinese, Euro, Yen, whatever it is, it's as strong as it's it's been since uh, the early 1980s, and uh, that's the only other the only other time it's been stronger than it is today since uh, the world adopted flexible exchange rates back in the early 1970s. So it's very strong. Now we won't stay here forever. Uh, you know, once we get on the other side of these rate hikes and inflation starts to moderate, and it will, it'll come back in. The economy normalizes. You know, the dollar will come back in. But, you know, that's, that between now and then is quite some time. And it, as you point out, it will begin to slow growth. I will say, uh, to some degree, that's by design, right? I mean, the Fed needs, uh, wants uh, the economy to slow, uh, get job growth down to something that's more consistent with the uh, growth in the labor force, get unemployment moving a little bit higher. And one way to do that is uh, you know, with a strong dollar and, uh, and, a, and a broader trade, a bigger trade deficit. So by, by some, to some degree, that is uh, uh, by design here. All right. Mark Zandi with Moody Analytics. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. We're back with Worldwide Exchange after this brief commercial break. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We've got a market flash for you looking at shares of Netflix right now, down about one-third of 1%. The beaten-down streaming giant actually faring quite well during the third quarter, up roughly 30% in that time frame, making it one of the best-performing stocks in the S&P 500 and NASDAQ 100. Year-to-date, though, that stock is still down more than 60%, so it's coming off a low base. But watch those Netflix shares, maybe a barometer of sentiment in this market. To another developing story this morning, and one that is sending oil prices sharply higher, OPEC Plus is considering a production cut of more than 1 million barrels per day. The group, which includes the cartel and its allies, like Russia, We'll meet in person on Wednesday for the first time since before the virus pandemic. Now, since peaking in mid-June, oil prices are down more than 25 percent. Let's get now more insight with Ole Hansen, who's the head of commodity strategy at Saxo Bank. Uh, Ole, this is a big move in oil, but it's not uncommon seeing that we've seen such volatility in these markets. But is this kind of move by OPEC and producer countries like Russia enough to trigger a massive upside surge back up to the highs that we saw in June? Hi, Dom. Um, I don't think it is, because uh, what we have to consider as well, that uh, OPEC Plus has uh, been struggling now for months to, uh, to actually produce the quota levels they had agreed. We only have a handful of countries uh, led by the uh, Gulf states that, can, that are currently producing according to their, their quotas. Uh, Russia currently being uh, below by by probably more than a million barrels. So that basically means that if they do cut by one million or one and a half million, they'll have to change the quota, quota system for that number actually to be uh, to be a real cut in the market. Because from for, for you would imagine it's only the countries that are actually producing at that quota that will reduce accordingly. So that's uh, less than the less than half of the the increase that's been talked about. So that's probably also the reason why they are meeting face to face this week in in Vienna because it is a it is a very potentially highly controversial decision that they may take, but I think the impact is probably going to be less than what the market is looking for. And I think also, Dom, the way that we only we up, I would say, only four percent today, could be an indication of the market just being somewhat hesitant. I stopped at the gas station again this morning before I got to work and paid around three dollars and nineteen cents for regular unleaded fuel here in the New York metro area. That's way below where it was just three or four months ago. 
Is the fair price of oil right now somewhere in this $80 range, or is it lower given the economic prospects for the world? Well, if you just look at the demand side, then it probably should be lower. But I think we have to, uh, as, as, as always with commodities, we can actually have commodities rising even though demand is coming down because supply is, is an equal part of the equation. And we, we all know that the, uh, the embargo on Russian oil from European uh, buyers which will kick in in December, fuel products in February next year. Uh, given the recent developments uh, in Ukraine and, and from Russia, uh, there's no doubt that this embargo will be implemented. That will remove barrels uh, from the market because Russia can simply not find alternative buyers for the, the, the oil that Europe would not be buying. So that's one thing. SPR releases from the U.S. will come to a halt eventually, and that will also remove move some barrels from the market. And then we just got the whole uh, energy crisis in Europe, which will continue to add demand for for diesel at the expense of gas, wherever it's, po- it's, it's, it's possible. So, so we are in a situation that the, the demand outlook is, is slowing, but so is the supply outlook. So I think at price level, uh, we're probably more closer to the mid-90s than we should be than the, the, the mid-80s when we come into December and January time. All right. Ole Hansen at Saxo Bank, thank you very much, sir. We appreciate it. As we head out to break, throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, CNBC is celebrating our teammates, our contributors, our colleagues. As we head out to break, here is Jane Holly and Associates' Jessica Ramirez. I grew up being bilingual. Spanish is my first language. I learned English in school. And, you know, I've been very privileged that I've been able to travel and, and improve my language skills. And till today, I still struggle with some of it. But I think the, the idea of making your obstacles, your strength really works more than people knocking you down. There's going to be more people who recognize how hard you're able to work and are, are looking for that. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Markets are preparing to kick off a new trading month and quarter. Futures right now showing a modest open. The Dow implied higher by just about 100 and so points. The S&P by five and the Nasdaq down by 32. Let's bring in Quincy Crosby, chief equity strategist at LPL Financial. Also Jeff Kilberg, founder and CEO at KKM Financial. He's also a CNBC contributor. Quincy, we'll start with you. Is the market narrative now one that's negative enough for people to feel comfortable buying at these lower levels? I think it's moving in that direction. All it needs is a catalyst. I mean, we're moving towards deeper and deeper oversold. There'll be a catalyst to get the market climbing higher. Uh, It could be an announcement from a company that comes in with a positive pre-announcement that that will tilt the, the market over. But the deeper the sentiment, the worse the sentiment, you're moving towards a, uh, a rally. But again, is it the end of the downturn? Probably not. Is it the end of the downturn? Probably not. Jeff, that, that doesn't sound very good, but there have got to be places. I mean, even retail traders and investors I talk to are saying, yeah, we're negative, but man, look at how far, say, Netflix has fallen, or Meta Platforms has fallen, or even Microsoft and Alphabet. By the way, both of those names, Microsoft and Alphabet, hit 52-week lows on Friday. I think you bring up a great point, Dom, and certainly it's very challenging to dance between the raindrops as we see sentiment really sorrow. We saw the market close the quarter on quite the whimper. September down 9%. The worst quarter we've had since then was 2002 when the September month was down 11%. So certainly it is a challenging macro environment. But I think Quincy brings up a great point. We are seeing oversold conditions. We are seeing potentially maximum pessimism. So I do think the catalyst could be 
earnings season. Look at earnings season. You continue to see that bar be lowered. So I think there's a ton of opportunity in technology. You know, Dom, I beat the drum all year long on moving from growth to value. I think there's an opportunity to your point to look at some of these mega cap names like the Facebooks, like the Metas, uh, also Microsoft. You're seeing names that are offering value and growth. But what's interesting, Dom, and I'm going to put a bow on this box, is that you're not seeing panic out there. You're seeing volatility, certainly the VIX options. We saw a huge volume surge last week to close out the month, but we're not seeing any panic on there. So this is a price discovery. I think it's somewhat orderly, and I do think we see the markets move higher. I am cautiously optimistic, Dom. I, I've heard a lot of those conversations, Quisby, about, uh, Quincy, about what Jeff just brought up, this idea that there has been no panic, that this has been a revaluation, gradually speaking, over the last several months of an equities market in the face of rising interest rates. But the fact that there's no panic can also be something to panic about. Why, right, Quincy, this idea that we haven't seen a flush out or capitulation is one coming. Well, most likely one is coming. I mean, there'll be another event, you know, some global event, a fault line that, that we'll see. And that may scare the, the daylights out of the, the weaker hands. You know, what's interesting about the, the rallies we've had, they've been led by retail buyers. Think about what institutional buyers, the tsunami that will come in when they feel comfortable that we have discounted all of the headwinds, maybe even including a recession and what kind of recession. But going into this month, I do think that the earnings season, there's so much pessimism. We've seen more negative um, estimates coming in before we even open the official opening of earnings. All you need are a couple of companies, big companies coming in and saying, you know what? It's not that bad. Remember the second quarter? We went in with tremendous pessimism and we actually came out with the second quarter. It was not stellar, but it was OK. I think you're going to see that. I think there's going to be a catalyst to get this market roaring, a very strong uh, rally. No, no, but Qu- I don't think it's the end. Quincy, I don't think it's the end. Quincy, okay, okay, if I could just follow up with you on this. Uh, Jeff had brought up you know, some of this, the, the picks that he was looking at. Yeah. He's trying to find some value in beating up parts yeah. of the market. Are, are there places in particular that, that you think could be attractive or that, that go on your shopping list, so to speak, if this negativity continues? Well, yes, absolutely. Um, the fact is, we still like energy stocks. You know, you've got the OPEC meeting this week. I think they're going to they're going to cut more. Not what they did last month for this month. I think it's going to be bigger. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, a million barrels a day of a cut, but it's going to be pricey. They want to protect. They want to protect while they can a, a bottom for the um, for the cartel. But I do think also. You know, people are looking at the bond market. The bond market has suddenly been resurrected. And the short end, short duration investment grade, I think, is very attractive. But again, going back into the equity market, yes, you do have you do have better and better opportunities. But I think you're going to have better entry points still. But just you've got to be invested in the equity market. I would look at some of those beaten up names in the energy sector. Supply is tight. The uh, Strategic Petroleum Reserve has to start being filled again, and we're going into the winter season. All right, Jeff Kilberg, we'll give you the last word. Just a few moments left here. What's your biggest fear in the market right now? You know, my biggest fear is that the boat is listing to one side, Dom, and that actually make, gets me excited. So look at themes that worked all year. Tactically, you know, the portfolio I run, we've owned energy. That theme, look at IEO, IGE. Those are two ETFs. ExxonMobil, ConocoPhillips, these are all names that continue to produce. So look at energy, dance between the raindrops, and don't get so embarrassed. It's going to be okay, folks. Just breathe. All right, just breathe. Quincy Crosby, Jeff Kilberg, thank you both very much. We appreciate it. 
That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next. The Dow is implied higher by just about 100 points. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com.